Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Hi, we were just going to say welcome to you and welcome to those of you online. And I think, are you going to tell us something? Sure. Yes. Yeah, well, it'll pick you up. Yeah, it will pick me up. So if you are watching online and you would like to follow along and you are on KOGBA.tv, you scroll all the way down uh, and there's a link on the balcony for you to be able to access Claire's presentations. Um, and if you are on Facebook, there's a link in the post for this session. So you'll be able to click on there, it'll bring you to a Google Drive, and in that Google Drive are Claire's presentations from last week and this week as well. So you should be able to access that. You can have two windows open at the same time. You can be watching Claire and also have her presentation up so that you'll be able to see them at the same time. Thank you. You are welcome. We appreciate that. Okay. Enjoy. Good morning. It is what it is. Well, we talked. We've had a small class last week, a very small class, and a small class this week. And I'm, and I really am serious. I mean, this. I, I think we, most people would love to go to Good God, Bad World, which will later be online. And I would love to be there too. But I think that when we prayed together, the three of us, the two Dr. Phils. And I prayed together last week and this week before class. We're all teaching. And in our prayer, Pastor Phil Keener was, was praying about that idea of this bad world, this broken world. And, and he prayed about how that's really reflected in Lent also. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I appreciated that because I think that's so true. And we're especially mm-hmm. going to talk about that aspect of Lent today. And so... As you heard from Tara, who is our Director of Community Engagement, this is Tara Wolf, not to you all, but at home, you will be able to link on to the documents that we use, whether it's the PowerPoint or whether it's the handout, all of that is up there, and you would be able to do it later today, too, when you got home, if you wanted it as a PDF in your computer or something. If, if you're like I am and you lose pieces of paper, you appreciate. <laughs> but anyway, today, last week we talked about the history of Lent and how, how we got to where we are with this out of the idea of a calendar. Today we're going to talk about practices in Lent and we're especially going to focus on the repentant practices uh, that we begin on Ash Wednesday, so we even have some ashes here to interact with for a couple of minutes. Um, and then next week, we are going to go from the beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday here, that we talk about today, all the way to the end of Lent, and talk about those three days, the triduum, the three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. What practices there might be that will help us to grow in our faith, in those three days, but also what are some of the teachings in the church about what's really happening those three days? Jesus' betrayal, his death, and then Saturday, what's happening? Uh, the descent into hell, we'll talk a little bit about that, and how pondering those things can help us get to Easter. So, to begin... I'm promising that we always will look at some classical psalms that have to do with the themes in Lent, that we will touch on prayers, classical prayers, and then, of course, scripture and practices. So today, we will begin our opening prayer will be from Psalm 51, very familiar to most of us who've spent time in the church, and especially if you spend time at an Ash Wednesday service. Psalm 51 is almost always there. So why don't we pray this together up on the screen, and let this be our opening prayer to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, Wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, 
or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. One of the reasons I wanted to use verses 10, I'm going to close this door, verses 10 to 12, is because of those words, uh, shocking words, almost horrifying, terrifying, if we think about them. Do not cast me from your presence, this plea. But then, a similar theme that, that we're talking about, if we go from Ash Wednesday, focus on death, to Easter, focus on life, what do we get here? Restore to me that joy of your salvation. So I think Psalm 51 here almost encompasses everything we think about in Lent. <coughs> any, any comments before we, we go on? John? Well, I always think of Lent as part of that beginning line as well. And oh, we learned, uh, the, sort, the one that was from the previous no, no, slide? Oh, okay. me a pure heart. Because I can never go back. Uh, <laughs> the creating me a pure heart idea gives me the notion that in Lent we ought to stop and do some of these things that you're suggesting and do that yes. and reflect on that yeah. and sort of say, how can I become more of what I ought to be and do what I ought to do? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and avoid those things that I should do that I don't do, as well as those things that I do that I shouldn't do. <laughs> Very interesting. You've kind of almost taken us to our last slide. <laughs> With a checklist of thinking of those things that we shouldn't be doing, but also those things that we should be doing. We're going to get there today. Thank you. Although we could maybe just go there and just go home. <laughs> well, omission and commission were big words to Oh, yes. Good point. Good point. The sins of omission, those things we don't do. The sins of commission, those things that we do. And, and it's almost, sometimes it's, have you, I, I've noticed that sometimes it's almost personalities that will determine whether you're a committer or an omitter. <laughs> and as long as you brought that up, um, and you had asked this, John, I, I do, oh, that's for later. Um, I've got a couple of books up here and at the end of your, on, page, on the second page of your handout, from both handouts last week and this week, suggestions of, of mostly free um, devotions you can get online, but I also, I really recommend just using the Psalms. Uh, as it, or you could go to a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think this thing is 199 or something, I can't recall. Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the prayer book of the Bible. Um, this, this is just Psalms, so if you don't want to carry a heavy Bible around, there are often things like this to use. But I really recommend just in life, learning to use that prayer book of the Bible as your prayer, as my prayer, and taking not only just reading, but then taking the ideas that jump out and praying those to the Lord yourself. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, Let's move on here. I I won't even go through this, but we're going to try to look at Lent from many different perspectives, historical, practical, uh, theological, you know, digging in biblical, many, many ways. But with this idea in mind, that Lent and the practice of Lent, it's not about checking it off or getting a star, you know, the way we used to, next to our names. It's about being formed, formed in Christ. Any of these things we do, worship when we come together, reading the scriptures, encouraging one another, putting a hand on a shoulder and saying, oh, how are, that's what's going on, I'll pray for you, or maybe even better, may I pray for you right now? Those things have to do with being formed in Christ, and that, that's what we're about. So Lent is a season, though, because we do it communally, that we're not only formed individually, but just as in worship, we are formed as a community. So we're going to think about that more next week, the, the forming as a community. Um, last week, and this is just review, we talked about the idea of, well, are we just giving ourselves another law? 
We're, we're the people of grace, right? <laughs> we, we talk about grace and freedom. And, and I, I think on the handout, I've got the extra scriptures that you went home with last week. But we read through Romans 14. And what we heard, or maybe saw, or sensed, was a big paintbrush of love and grace and non-judgmental posture toward the idea of setting aside special days and times and seasons. That we are to build one another up in Christ, but never make a law of what we're talking about. So, so I want to make sure we understand that. We're not saying someone has to do any of these things, but that there is an opportunity to do it. <laughs> okay, Joni. I'm great, thank you. <laughs> what that was. And there was that hand on your shoulder. <laughs> thank you. So, so as I said, we'll look at some of the traditional uh, helpers that, that, that we have, the aids we have, in order to grow in our faith in this Lenten season. Now, let's think about the traditional... We, and I asked last week, um, and we talked a little bit about who had observed Lent during their growing up, and, and Joni, or what you do now mm-hmm. to observe. But I know when we came in, Debbie, you mentioned you grew up in a church that didn't observe Lent. Do you want to say? Right. Yeah? yeah. want to say yeah. more? I didn't even know the term until um, we... Attending a Lutheran church down in Hampton, and I guess we were in our early 30s. And um, so I loved that idea of preparation, Advent the same. And, um, you know, Easter was just one day on the calendar. Yes, yes. And, um, and then we went right back to normal life. And so I love the idea of the, uh, a time of preparation for such an important part of our spiritual walk. And, you know, if we look at the earliest church, let's talk about up through uh, four, five, six hundred, we find that, first of all, Sundays were considered a, a, a rehearsal, a reliving of Easter all the time. Yeah, see, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and, um, and so there was never to be any fasting. We're going to talk about fasting today. Never any fasting. Tertullian, Augustine, Athanasius all say, no one should ever fast. If you hear of a pastor saying to, or a priest saying to, fast. Um, and also the Sabbath, no fasting. Okay, so, so those kinds of ideas. But this idea of seasonal, and I will pass this around. Well, this is, yeah. I'll pass this around. We did this last week. And is this mosaic? Yeah. That out, you maybe you can look at this table and look at this table. This was up in our slides, and I didn't put it in today. And then this morning I thought, maybe we really need to remember that we live in a calendar. This calendar, uh, and this is from Moses from Mount Sinai. And then we, we mimic in many ways a calendar like that with our own church year, and it's the retelling of the story of God. And one thing that's important is we have this cycle, yeah, we, we live through, you know, just our regular calendar, calendar January to, to December, Everybody lives that, you know, whether it's the weather, whether no, it's the holidays. <laughs> which, what? We live from Advent. Right? Yeah, right, right. But in the beginning of the church year, it was Passover or Pascha, Easter, which was the beginning of the church year. So, but, but we've shifted it to Advent. Maybe, maybe 8th century, we're not exactly sure. But one thing that's, that's imperative to remember, we don't just have a cycle like even tribal or pagan religions might, where the gods come in and the, the things grow and then they, they die and then they grow again. We have time moving forward. For the Jews, for the Jews, you, you started at Passover with this rescue, but you ended with booths or tabernacles, which was the expectation of what God was going to do because of what he'd already done. So there was almost an end times thinking. The same as for us, we end our church year, begin our church year with the incarnation, and end our church year with the Sunday of the Fulfillment, it's often called now, I like better just because I like it for children, it's much more concrete, 
Christ the King Sunday. <laughs> and I think concrete ideas are much better for teaching concepts to children. So anyway, that's where we are. But we, so we have these, oh, I lost the clicker. So we have some of these things. The, the disciplines have traditionally been fasting, prayer, scripture, meditation, however you want to think of that. And then almsgiving, that's such a strange term that I decided we ought to just call it charity love, those acts of service and giving to one another, which we'll talk about more next week. Okay, but let's define rituals and let's think about rituals for ourselves. I think this is a decent, a, a, a decent definition. A ritual could be thought of as something repeated, something somewhat Stylized, you know what I mean? It may not look like the normal way. You know, I just walk like this. But in a ritual, I might walk like this. Or I might walk like this. There might be some stylized aspect. And usually in a ritual, there will be special words, actions, maybe objects, maybe places. So I'm just trying to think. What are let's not think of church rituals. What are some rituals observed out there in the regular world that you can think of? John. Well, before we ate, we had to wash our hands, and that's kind of a ritual. Yeah, that's just an everyday kind of ritual, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More formal rituals out in society, uh, government. How many of you watched the series The Crown? <laughs> Boy, didn't it come through in that series how it was really the weight of the crown on the queen's shoulders, on her life, on her relationships, everything. And do you remember all of the ritual? I mean, how, who walks first? Where's he walk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the way one sits stands, and then, of course, inaug not inauguration, um, coronation. Coronation. Much, but like our yeah. inauguration, there will be actions, objects, certain places, certain words that are spoken, maybe words that are read, maybe something that is sung. We, we heard the choir today <laughs> sing a benediction uh, that maybe for some of us went way back in time. Yes, yes God be with you till we meet again was in there. Um, you know, those, those songs, those words, somehow become part of us and shape us in some ways. So I want to ask first, before we even talk about Lenten rituals, or practices, what are some of the devotional rituals? And, and let's think specifically now in terms of physical, that something physical right now that you do or we do, because sometimes it sounds weird to start doing other things like imposition of ashes. But what are some of the rituals that, that involve your body that you do now? Well, nailing to pray. Kneeling, yes. Making the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. Making the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. we, we all were at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Or if, we, or, well, we go to 9.30, we wouldn't be at Sunday school. So there's that. <laughs> but in both, yeah, go ahead. Follow the cross. Wherever it goes. Yeah. What? Yeah. And I'll explain to yeah. those online. Here at King of Glory, as in many churches, but not all churches, we have a processional and recessional cross that gets carried by a young person, a crucifer, it's called. And that cross comes in at the beginning of the service and goes out at the end. And as we are in the sanctuary, if the cross is over there, the cross starts coming up the aisle, and again, it's near me. Many of us, I would say more than half of our congregation, bows as it goes, but we follow it. So for those of you at home, if that's the back of the sanctuary, and the cross is back there where that camera is, we face the rear of the sanctuary on our opening hymn, and we follow that cross singing 
And luckily, we have screens, front and back, so we can accomplish this. <laughs> and then, at the end, we do sing the whole hymn, but then the cross goes back out. What does that physical activity do for you as far as a devotional practice? If you don't like it, you can say so. <laughs> it's a sign of respect, I think. A sign of respect. Like in a courtroom, a judge enters, all rise. <laughs> and devotion, yes. Yeah, yeah devotion. Maybe we don't have that in the courtroom, but yeah. respect, but then devotion, yeah. Oh, Larry, yeah. Hi, Larry. <laughs> I think it means God is with us. Yeah. yeah. I see the cross there. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I love it that he goes out before I do. I always get a real sense of... Um, you know, uh, he's taking us out into the world at the end. Right. And I, may, Bill, I, may, I may be thinking of other things. Yeah, good. But when the cross starts down, mm. I focus there. I shut everything else out. That's an interesting observation. I had not thought about that. That sometimes these actions, <laughs> objects, uh, whatever the words, help us. To focus. Focus. Yeah. Good point. Truly focus. Blot out everything. Yeah. That's a great point. I think it also says the crucifixion is the, the key thing that happened for for each yes. of us. Yeah. The crux of the issue, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that cross. I always think of it because I've worked in a lot of churches, and you know you have to practice and you do weddings and all <laughs> kinds of things. But when that cross comes in, it's it's set apart. It's it's a special place. Somehow in my heart it says, you know, God is with us, like you say. But then during the week, it's, you know, the cross is up there, but it hasn't been brought in in a ceremony, which I think sets it apart. Yes. And it's, it's, a, it's a place to work or practice or do vacation Bible school or whatever right. you're doing for the week. But it's, it's a more normal place, but it's set apart when that cross comes in and then it goes out. We raised six kids. And okay, I mean, we had a sliding glass door that came into the kitchen. I mean, I'd prefer they'd come in through the garage and the laundry room, which was, you know, also served as a mud room. But sometimes they come in, you know, a little bit muddy and three boys, of course. <laughs> Bring in a little. And the kitchen table was right there by that door. And I had, I still have, it's in a drawer at home. Oh, a tablecloth. It's not very big. It's probably 36 or 40 by 40 square that my brother in law brought us from Damascus, Syria. Yeah, I mean, 20, 30, maybe more years ago, 40 years ago when he went there on business. And it's embroidered. I mean, just some beautiful flowers. Let me tell you, those boys knew that if that tablecloth was on the table and there were cookies there or something, this was not for them at this moment. <laughs> Obviously, that item that tablecloth set those cookies apart as though we're having guests <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Go clean up. So sometimes it is an object that kind of shifts us. Yeah. And any other rituals that you can think of? Yeah, John. Oh, yeah. We had five kids. Okay. Four of them were boys. And, and we, we, I laughed, have to laugh because the oldest boy couldn't go past the refrigerator without looking inside. Yeah, of course. So, so we always said he expected there was a stalker behind the refrigerator that kept putting <laughs> like new things the in there. Store. So whenever he came by, he could find something new. And of course, the boys are focused on eating. Of course. Of but, course. But the interesting thing was, if there was a, a dessert sitting there, oh, where does, who, who eats this? They wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it because it was to go somewhere. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, well, that was you know, I'm thinking of, uh, of now maybe a little weightier kind of thing, but <laughs> the refrigerator and the But cookies. it's amazing what sets things apart. Yes, what right. sets right. things apart. Right. You know, we do a greeting at the beginning of our worship services um, to say, peace the Lord be with you, or hello, however you do that, welcome, shaking hands. Earlier church did a kiss of peace. Now, it was, it was more normal in their society. To give a kiss, even like if you go to Italy today, or <laughs> France. Um, but, but that moment happening then, the kiss of peace 
maybe saying the word be with you or whatever the words were at that moment, set apart that in time. Because we know from, from early catechetical, catechism kind of writings, that a man was not supposed to kiss a woman unless they were both baptized, okay, in the worship service. So catechumens didn't get a kiss from others. In fact, they were dismissed for that. So there's something about setting aside time and space and words that happen when we have rituals involved. You know, I thought of something else that... I don't think we do as much anymore as we used to, but we had certain clothes that we wore when we went to church. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, you, you don't have that special thing in the ladies' room hats. Mm-hmm. And you made sure that you had a hose on, you know, women. I don't know about the men. But, but I noticed today we're not quite as fastidious about that. I think you're right. I think you're right. It was, it was certainly part of the ritual. It was you part know, of the women had to wear a hat or yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no lipstick. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Well, oh. when we were at Missouri Synod overseas, I had to remove my lipstick. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's intriguing. Yeah. And I suppose that's because we used common cup. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I know the cathedrals over there, you have to have your shoulders covered. Yes, I know you do. Yes. You Tank top. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's let's look. I keep losing it. The clicker. <laughs> I didn't mean I was losing it. <laughs> okay. So Lenten practices to deepen faith. If 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 this season is a time set aside in the church year. For, for me to be formed in Christ, for me and for us as a community to grow spiritually, then, then what should be happening is a deepening of faith. Maybe that's, a, that's an easier way to think of it. And so these are some of the things that we see in Lent. And Now, have all of you done imposition of ashes? And foot washing. You do foot washing. If, if you want, I mean, I brought this just in case, in case we have anybody here who hasn't, but I had asked Tara if you could have ashes. We do. But, and you can pass this around if you also want to interact with the ashes, and then we can pass this around if you want to interact with some cleaning <laughs> wipes. Now, wait a minute, that's a controversial thing. <laughs> not like the teacher that took the ashes off the kids. Oh, no. Seemingly oh, not knowing. Yeah. What? For you who have done this, what what does that moment do for you? Why do you want to do? I'm not going to do it here because we're headed to the opera. (laughs) So, what does that moment do for you on Ash Wednesday? It sets you apart. When you walk out the door. Well, well, but, you know, it says we don't have the image of the devil up here, we have the image of Christ. That sets us apart as a. A person who. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, sure. Pass it. I think they combine it with a little oil or something, don't they? Uh, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Very little oil. Yeah. yeah, but just a little. Yeah. 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 I don't know the proportions. But when you're up there and the pastor puts the ashes on your forehead or in your hand, and I appreciate that we offer that, especially for children, something can be a little scary. Um, what what happens for you? What have you noticed? Where does your mind go? I don't think in the wording I I I hear that um, I am dust. Yes. And were it not for Jesus, that's where I'd end up. And um, this is a really profound, sobering reminder, isn't it? Of um, where I would be if, if it were not for Jesus Christ. And that, that, I, that is what I am. I am going to go to dust mm-hmm. in a grave, yeah. unless Jesus returns first. Yeah. But 
And, and I said last week, um, and somewhere in the slides, we're going to hear the phrase from an Orthodox priest, scholar, um, Alexander Schmemann, who de- describes Lent as a season of bright sadness. Oh. And that's why I chose this picture. <laughs> because I felt like as a background. We want to remember where we're going. But there is this sorrow. And, and many of the practices that we observe in Lent focus us on repentance, on our true situation as lost people unless we have been redeemed. Yeah. So that's, that's where we are. We probably need to move on. One of the, I mean, you hear it all the time. In fact, where did it go? A week ago, not this past week, but a week ago in the Virginia Gazette, give up animal products for Lent from someone in Williamsburg. This was March 2nd. March 6th marks the beginning of Lent. So he, this man felt we should all give up animal products during Lent. Is this a vegan? <laughs> well, that's a good question. He says, entering vegan in our favorite search engine provides a lot of suitable products. There's a guy that's always just But this idea of fasting or... Well, one scholar who I've been reading this week, um, that were this for for this class, and especially this week in preparation, a book on fasting. He says, "I don't like to." He says, "I I prefer to call uh, giving up chocolate or giving up Facebook or giving up whatever it is you give up abstinence as opposed to fasting." Okay, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. But the idea of fasting certainly comes about. But this man, Scott McKnight in his book on ancient practices of fasting, says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response. So something that is going to happen to a person at a grievous, sacred moment in life. And he takes, in his writing, he says, consider the widow or widower, the person who has just lost that most important companion, often the body says, I can't, I can't eat it. And, that, and he uses that image over and over again, but what he says is, as Christians, we face a grievous moment in Lent where we begin to consider the death of God himself in Jesus Christ for my sin. What a sacred, grievous, now I'll say season, but moment. And, and, and that's what Ash Wednesday takes us to in the very beginning. And he says that fasting would just be a natural response. And this is difficult for me to get my head around because it hasn't been, and he writes about that, says, this used to be the natural response (laughs) in Lent. I mean, even through John Wesley, uh, fasting in Lent, from the earliest church to now, or the Jews on the charts. It it is fascinating to me, but here's the mosaic one. The only fasting um, holy day is Yom Kippur. Okay, and for us, we really have, we think in terms of Lent, all of the other seasons are seasons of joy. Right, we celebrate. And that's the way the Jews think too. But we see fasts in, uh, I keep wanting to make sure I know what we're doing, um, in the scriptures, and we won't look at all of them because we want to look at the scriptures that talk to us on. Uh, in Joel and in Isaiah, but if you recall some of these stories, and there are countless stories. I mean, Moses fasted, Elijah fasted, Jesus fasted, um, and and, um, some scholars like to point out Moses fasting is the law, Elijah fasting is the prophets, representative of the prophets, and Isaiah did, and Jeremiah, and all of them, and then for Jesus, this is the gospel coming out, but they all all their lives show moments of fasting. David 
Psalm 51, we believe, is written in response to David's grievous sin with Bathsheba. When Nathan the prophet comes and says, you are the man. You're the man. And David fasts. The the child is very ill. Right. And dies. To death, yes. And David is fasting. Full body actions, probably. Probably kneeling, maybe prostrate on the floor. Yeah. Uh, There may have been tearing of clothes. Ashes on the head that was typical for for Jews, um, but fasting. And then, and so we read that psalm, and, and if we had read the whole thing, remember David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Mm-hmm. Not that the sin against Uriah and the sin against Bathsheba, drawing her into sin with him, is not grievous, but the biggest most horrific part of it is turning the back on God. So, so we see, and that, that story is in 2 Samuel, Daniel's fast is not a complete fast the way David's probably was, but when he and other bright young leaders from Israel are taken off into captivity and rise to leadership in the government. When they say, we're not going to eat your food. Right, right. <laughs> So that fast, maybe McKnight would call it an abstinence, okay? Mm-hmm. But that was a fast saying, we're only going to eat vegetables and we're not going to drink wine and we're not going to eat all the, all the sumptuous foods. Okay, Esther, when she learns that her people <coughs> have a death sentence over them, proclaims a fast, even though God's name is never mentioned once in that book, not once. She proclaims a fast. And of course, Jesus. We, we heard about that, the temptation. This is what, and this is what I especially liked about McKnight's book. He talks about A to B to C, and he says we have to keep this in mind. If we decide to fast, remember that it is a response to a sacred, grievous event. He says, so often, somebody says, oh, what did you give up for Lent? And the kid, the nephew, the, the sister, whomever says, oh, I'm giving up chocolate. He says, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, what is it that is so grievous in your life that you feel the need to fast? And he says, we shouldn't worry about seeing. That's in God's category. We don't, well, in fact, let's go right now to Isaiah 58. I think we can move on from this because I think that's what comes up next. Yes, Isaiah 58. We'll, we'll do Joel 2 in a minute. But let's look at Isaiah 58. This is maybe page 617 if you're using this book. Oh, okay. Oh, you have another one. It's 740. Thank you. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. This is God talking. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They cry out to God. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your work. So, so before we read the rest of it, Ignite wants us to hear that, that God is saying to those people, don't fast to get results from me. That's not the point. The point is, something is grievously wrong in your community. And the inevitable, natural sorrow would lead my people, God is saying, 
to fast. Um, I was reading in the in the um, what was called uh, the Jewish Publication Society's Old Testament. So they translate from the Hebrew, and then they, it's a study Bible. So they have notes, but these are Jews writing on Isaiah fifty-eight, and on these first few verses. The, the editor says, the Judeans observe rituals such as fasting, but they do so only for their own benefit. Real humility toward God would engender a desire for justice toward the weak, compassion toward the downtrodden, and that's where the song, Isaiah is going to go, and charity toward the poor. A willingness to give up one's own things rather than hope to acquire salvation. And the editor is not saying we are not to hope for salvation or want to be in a relationship with God. But make sure that when we are coming to God with any of these rituals, let me say here, that what we're after is to begin to have the heart of God. So let's read through some more of Isaiah 58. Somebody want to pick it up? What are we at? Maybe, um, are we at verse 3? Why? Yeah, why have we fasted, they said, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you stopped it. <laughs> yes. Hear, hear what he's saying. You're fasting. You, you hypocrites is what he's saying. <laughs> Go on, Don. I love, you. I love your voice as you mean. <laughs> you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. So what's he saying? What does a fast look like? Yeah. Freeing up. Go ahead, John. It's a freeing up. It's untie the cords. Let the press free. Yeah. Yeah. Don, what were you going to say? The same idea. It's actually doing something that's Mm -hmm. positive. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. If you don't mind, keep reading. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away the yoke of oppression with a pointing finger and a malicious tongue, and if you spin yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will come become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring, whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, and you will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you, Don. Well, that's really interesting. What, what jumped out at you? Oh. 
When you think about uh, when Christ said, if you clothe the naked or fed the... Yes. Yeah, I, it's... Yeah. John? I think what it says is whatever fasting or whatever practice we do, the purpose is not to do that as this thing, but rather to respond to that and and do some sort of action. Help be compassionate, help somebody else. Yeah. Do something, pray more, you know, yeah. pray, pray things that we hadn't typically prayed or, or yeah. some something that's positive as an action yeah. that follows yeah. rather than focusing on the fact that I gave up chocolates or yeah. Yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie, were you going to say something? No, oh, okay. I, I think I was just chiming in in agreement. Okay. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Um, McKnight made a big deal about this A to B to C throughout mm-hmm. his book. He's looking at the ancient practices, but wants to keep reminding the reader, this is about the grievous condition. It's about what they're talking about, whatever direction that is, in the other room. Good God, bad world. A broken world. And what our response can be is to learn to have the heart of God towards that world. And, and so as I was reading in my, in my Jerusalem, or Jewish Publication Society, that's fine, that's good, um, on those last few verses they say, these, these words, this, the, these words from Isaiah, do not, uh, uh, do not reject ritual in favor of ethical action. He's not saying you shouldn't do this, but calls on the nation to attend to both. And and McKnight writes about that and says this is what we see when we look at a biblical fast, when we look at historic fasts of the church, is that there's this grievous moment, this A, and the response of the people who gain the heart of God in that sorrowing over the brokenness. And, and this, this uh, I would call it a little psalm from Isaiah, this little bit of poetry here, says God's going to turn things around. But that's not the point. The point for us, as we heard in our sermon this morning, the point for those of us in the pews is to be looking for those who might be seeking to merge or who have sorrow in life, brokenness in life, disappointment in life, and have God's heart for them. And then as Pastor said, let them merge with his signs of Lent. But it's the same message. And, and Jonah, if you remember the story of Jonah and the whale, he goes and he preaches and, and Usually when we read that story, we think about Jonah and what a reluctant prophet he was, and then what a grumbly, uh, bitter <laughs> prophet he was. Yeah. Listen to what happens. Then the, um, where is it? the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. This is the, the preaching of Jonah. And removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. And sat in ashes, the king of Nineveh. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. But the decree of the king and his nobles, oh no, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. This was a complete fast, total fast, which obviously you can't go without water for more than, is it three days? I I can't remember, something like that. So this was probably a day or so. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The king is recognizing the brokenness in society. And then he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He doesn't say God will have to do this because A plus B yields C. He's saying, look at the brokenness in our society. We must 
turn away from it. So fasting in the Lenten context has to do with continual repentance, which Isaiah's chapter there tells us God would like to see lived out, repentance that then is lived out in a community. Joel 2, let's take just a couple of minutes to go there. We all hear this on, um, on Ash Wednesday. Nine minutes, so we have time. Joel, oh, I'm going, yeah. After. You got the number? 761. 761, 910. 761 or 910. We're going to go down to verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, and I think I'm in NIV. Uh, Return to me with all your heart. Remember, repentance is that word that means make a 180. Turn away. So here he's saying, return to me. God is saying, because you're going the other way. So return. With fasting and weeping and mourning. And I always love this. Rend your heart, not your garments. And we hear that back in the books of Moses, too. A circumcision of the heart, not only of the flesh. And we hear that through the prophets. But rend your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is... And we heard this Ash Wednesday from Pastor at the imposition of ashes. Not that he said the whole word, but... Right, that who um, return, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You're you're thinking some things there. Well, it's the it's the the uh, song we sang that. Too. Yes, mm-hmm. and and they they stop before the um, he relents, mm-hmm. he bounds in, in yeah. steadfast love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that in the evening prayer? Um, well, in, well, we even, yeah. Is it in the Lord? This is from in our Lenten, it's our Lenten verse. Is that what we call it, the Lenten verse? Yeah. Instead of singing Alleluia's and yeah. Glorious, right. we sing this. I mean, yeah, return to the your God. I've heard that, that um, return to the Lord your God for his gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Oh, that's beautiful. I've not heard that. And it's in the, the, We're all the, gonna make the Old Testament them. several times. Oh, yeah, those words, those specific words are, yes, the Lord. yes. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we see that through the Psalms and through the prophets. Yeah, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Let's, let's, oh, I, I want us, last week, Pastor, in our stop and stop, uh, stop, how are you stopping God from doing something in your life was the sign last week, a stop sign. And he took us into Isaiah 55, um, which when Debbie was teaching and asked people their favorite verses or something, I decided I get to teach so I don't have to talk. And there were so many people. But Isaiah 55 is my favorite chapter of the Bible. And if you don't mind, if you could just go back there. We were at Isaiah 55. But we were at the end of the chapter with Pastor last week. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But go to the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah 55. The Great Invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And I want you to hear this in terms of God saying to us, this is the kind of fast I want. He's not saying don't fast, but he's saying let it be an encompassing fast that has to do with your whole life. But listen to what he says. Come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine. And milk without money and without price, no cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that that does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. This is only a couple of chapters before the Isaiah fasting chapter in 58. And I think can certainly give us the perspective of what can be happening in a season of observation like Lent. A time to focus 
on how far short I fall from what God wants. A season that says, look out there at the cross. It's out there. You know, we started almost you know, a week and a half ago. We're getting to that cross. And this is where we are in a sadness. But there's something bright on the horizon. And one of those bright things can be the growth that happens in you and me individually and us as a community. And this is what God promises. He says, when you've got nothing, I have such a deal for you. (laughs) Okay, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. You don't have money. You don't need it because I'm going to give your soul the richest affair, even maybe in We don't do this in order to get some special mountaintop experience. We do this because God loves and we learn with him to love in return. We love because he first loves us. And that's what this season is all about. Any any comments? Come anything you want to say because I don't know. You know what? What do you think about the um, the Pharisees, Claire, in the New Testament? How did they get off track? So I mean, how they were all about fasting. <laughs> they were all about those actions that I mean they. My heart kind of goes out to the Pharisees. I mean, the more I've read, the more I think, I mean, what they were saying is what the priestly kind of people do, lay people could enter into that too. But they went off track by making it a law. I mean, which we then... Following the law was everything. Yeah, yeah. And and obviously they added a lot of laws that weren't weren't really in the Old Testament. Well, what do you think, Debbie? I mean... Just asking. I don't have. I don't know. I just wondered if it if you came across anything or. They really wanted that that closeness with God that the priest might feel, mm-hmm. that the high priest might feel, the only one to get to go into the holy yeah. of holies, or or the ones outside looking at the little rope, the string tied around his leg in case he died. <laughs> they couldn't go in and get him. They'd be able to pull him out. Um, you know, they're very close there. The ones who are offering sacrifices, the lay people didn't do that. We don't call them lay people then, okay? But the lay people didn't do that. Levites. So the Pharisees were saying, you know, the Levites, yeah, but a special class right. of people. Right. The other 11 tribes don't. But the Pharisees were saying, we all can have that relationship. It's just, it went awry. I think we see this in Paul and his experience leading up to the the road to Damascus. I mean, you can see that he was trying to do all the right things. And I think the Pharisees wanted to do the right thing. And they felt if you were violating these rules, they'd be healed totally on the Sabbath. That was... Absolutely. That made you a sinner. Yeah, yeah. Note, Paul fasted at his blindness, (laughs) the conversion moment. He fasted. Like yeah, yeah. Ooh, we that was his grievous moment. Yeah. His, his grievous moment, moment. absolutely. And sacred. Sacred moment. Let's move on. This, remember I said, John, you had taken us to, and I think it's printed on your handout so we can look at it first. Yes. Um, and so let's look at it because one author I read, I don't remember who, says St. Saint, Saint Ephraim's Prayer. This is a Lenten prayer. This guy's Syrian, 4th century. But, but one of the authors said, this is, this is almost a checklist, like John gave. Like John was saying, this is a time to look at the things we shouldn't do, those burdens we ought to get rid of, those practices that shouldn't be in our lives, and also to think about the things. So let's just, before we pray it, because I want us to pray this as our closing prayer. Look at he, he says, keep me from a spirit of indifference. There's, there's, okay, check. And discouragement. Ooh, lust. I would have said poor power, but whoever translated it said lust of power. And idle chatter. Our small group is doing James. We're going to get to that. Idle chatter kind of stuff with the tongue. Instead, now he gives the list of things that John told us we had to be thinking. Grant me 
a spirit of wholeness, humble-mindedness, patience, love. And then, again, he says, grant me grace to be aware of my sins, not to judge. <laughs> Go back to Romans 14 and those other, and Colossians and 1 Corinthians and Galatians, which are also on this one. And then I each week I'm just giving us something if you want to do. Last week it was Romans 5, 1 to 11, I think, and this week scripture to think in terms of and, and be thinking about burdens that need lifting, ways of living that need renouncing. And, I, and this is for me too. This is for me too. Outcomes in growth I desire. So why don't we now pray this prayer together as our closing prayer with saints all through the centuries who've prayed this prayer since the fourth century. O Lord and Master of my life, keep me from the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. Instead, grant to me, your servant, the spirit of fullness of being, humble mindedness, patience, and love. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to be aware of my sins and not to judge my brother and sister. For you are blessed, now and ever and forever. Amen. Thank you. Next week, we'll look at the three days and some of the practices. Obviously, three days we'll have to zip through. But we will take a short time to look at that idea of Christ's descent into hell and what that means for the atonement. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.